prevailing narrative in digital media these days is one of doom and gloom. Layoffs at BuzzFeed, layoffs at Vice, still more layoffs at HuffPost, and this is just the last couple of weeks. But Melissa Bell, publisher at Vox Media, is not about that narrative. She sees Vox becoming simply a modern media company with several revenue lines and the makings of a sustainable business model. I'm Brian Marcy, and this is the Digiday Podcast. This is a special episode of a live podcast recording we did with Melissa at Vox Media's headquarters in New York City last week. Melissa and I talked about whether BuzzFeed and Vox Media are going to merge in order to create efficiencies. Hint, she says no. And if Vox made a mistake, trusting Facebook would figure out ways for Vox and other publishers to make money there. Finally, we address whether VC-backed digital media was always based on flawed premises. I want to thank you uh, for coming here. This is like the fifth or sixth live podcast we've done. This is the second one we've done here at Vox. Um, and I want to thank Vox for having us. Uh, these are great events to bring people together. Um, so thank you, Vox. Um, it is a podcast, but you're allowed to react during it. Um, I know Melissa's going to cut jokes, and she's going to disagree a lot with a lot of stuff I'm going to ask her. Um, but uh, anyway. We are going to get started. Melissa, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Brian. I'm so happy to be here. So, Thanks for our live studio audience. <laughs> Lots of feedback and reactions. So first thing first, because the role of publisher is different at, at different media organizations. Explain what exactly your role is as publisher. I don't want to give away too many details because I like to have no one know what I do okay. at any time. It's good. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I became publisher here a few years ago, uh, and it, I I really liked the title because I think it kind of took uh, uh, inspiration from traditional media. And I think it's really important for us as we're thinking about the future of the media to remember all of the lessons of the past. Um, I oversee the development, the growth, um, um, and the continued expansion of all of our networks. Um, I think about what are we publishing every single day? What are we publishing in the future? Um, I think about our business side. Um, okay, so you think about the money, right? I think about the money too, okay. but I think primarily about how do we make a great product that audiences love. Um, but yeah, does that give you a good sense of what it gives a good sense? And I want to have this segue. And I have a bunch of narratives that um, that we have like that that come up again and again in not just in our podcast but in our coverage. Mm -hmm. um, and you can agree or disagree with these narratives and take them in different directions. Great. Okay, you ready? Foreshadowing. I'm going to disagree with everything you say. I understand that. Great. That's 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 <laughs> that's part of the wonder of this. Um, I don't know if you've heard, but uh, there were some layoffs lately, um, and um, they were pretty sizable. It was unfortunate, um, but but Vice had them, BuzzFeed had them, uh, Gannett had them uh, on the other side of the more traditional side. Um, uh, they had them at Oath, uh, HuffPost, and there is a narrative out there. I don't know if you've heard it, but it's that in particular that big VC-funded digital publishers are in a heap of trouble because they took a bunch of money and it was at extremely high valuations and all of the assumptions that were underpinning those valuations have been sort of undermined to say the least. That narrative is false. <laughs> <laughs> Says a company with $200 million of VC Listen, first of all, I want to say the headlines were very depressing and sad to they see. Were. I hate to see talented journalists um, lose their jobs. And I particularly hate it because 
Um, I'm optimistic about this industry. I'm optimistic about the fact that audiences want great storytelling and they want quality reporting. And I want young, talented journalists to feel like there's a future in this business because there is. Um, you mentioned that you were hiring jobs. We're hiring. We have open positions. <laughs> several. We, we Yeah, we have over 80 open positions, so please okay. come and but check them out. But you guys had your own cutbacks about a year ago. We did have, a, we did have a, a moment where we needed to make sure that we were setting ourselves up properly for the future. I think there's no way that we can deny that our that our industry, and it's this is where I really take um, take uh, issue with your narrative, yeah. is that it's a, that you're focusing on the digital part of it. Right now, media is under a massive moment of trans transition. You mentioned Gannett, you mentioned Oath. Um, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of things hitting us all at once. And we have to be incredibly focused on building quality products that people love and that, that they care about and that have a sustainable business. Um, it doesn't have to be one single solution. It should be a diversified solution. Um, but it's very important that we are thoughtful and smart about our approach right now because it matters and there's, there is tumult out there. Um, and so that's what we're focused on here. Um, and I think we're doing a pretty good job. But to follow up on that, you would say that it is incorrect that the growth assumptions that were underpinning these these valuations have gone away. Because the idea was that the traditional players had these legacy cost bases and they were wedded to traditional economics, traditional structures, traditional distribution, and that those audiences were going to go to these, these digital players. And the reason I focused on the digital versus the traditional is because the traditional, they, their struggles have been known. So there's, there's a certain like counter triumphalism around the New York Times and around Washington Post um, that are you know growing, and then we see the people that were supposed to replace them hit something of a wall. So I, I used to work at the Washington Post, and I think that my belief then when I was at the Post and my belief now is that if you do great work, that's what's going to show great results. And, um, and I'm really happy to see the fact that traditional publishers like the New York Times are doing really well. Their um, numbers just came out today and it's fantastic mm -hmm. to see that a lot of the hard work that they put into their product is paying off. Um, I don't think that negates the fact that there's really great work in other mediums as well. Um, I also kind of want to push back on the fact that like, I think you're asking me this question because I think you would put me in a digital media box. Um, and I don't think we're a digital media company. I think we're a modern media company. We create products that are in television and podcasts. We do live events. We're not just stuck in one medium. Um, and so I think there's a lot of opportunity in the digital medium space, but it's not the only thing that we do. This is a sign of the times when digital media companies don't want to be called digital. <laughs> you... <laughs> <laughs> Um, I'm happy to say that we make great I like digital it. I products. Love it. I love I don't that you've rebranded re re <laughs> re as modern. Um, that's good. And in that same, uh, actually, at the New York Times, a traditional media company, uh, you know, they had a story in which they said that, that you guys did $185 million in revenue and, and had a, I don't know if they, they didn't say meager profit. They said that it was a, I forget, it was a qualifier that, that meant small profit. <laughs> I'll take profit. We are a private company. We don't comment <laughs> on financial results, okay. but I'm feeling very good about our business and I'm excited to see where we go this year. Okay, on that note, narrative number two is that ad-dependent models are doomed in a <laughs> world where the ad market is completely dominated by Google and Facebook and it's only gonna get worse as Amazon comes on. 
Uh, false. <laughs> this is a really, this is a really fun podcast. Um, I mean, <laughs> no, but again, the, the 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 key is add dependent models because everyone has been scrambling to diversify their models, um, and and whether that's just additive or not, let's face it, like it's a lot of times it's being driven by the fact that advertising is a really difficult business now when you're not Google and Facebook. False. Um, I think that there's, I think there's, we've seen growth in our advertising business. Um, you see, you see this fr again from the New York Times numbers, there's growth in their digital advertising business. Um, I think it's about taking the right approach to the advertising space. First of all, there's a plethora of options in advertising too. You can have a diverse approach to the business itself. Um, but I think any business is putting itself at risk if they're not taking a diverse approach to their revenue sources. Um, we feel uh, really bullish on our advertising business. Um, you can see across the suite of products that we've offered that we have um, growth across all of the business lines. And uh, it's not just um, a single product when we talk about advertising that Google and Facebook have sucked up. You need to think about the entire client experience from start to finish. What's the creative product that we're building? What is the um, experience that programmatic buyers are having? Um, what's, the, what's the branded content opportunities? What it, we've seen a 380% growth in our podcast advertising business. That doesn't feel to me like a, uh, an area that is under risk. Okay, so I mean, display advertising though is a difficult business. See, you just diversified advertising there. Well, yeah, <laughs> I mean, because advertising when Vox started was display advertising, and now it's it diversified into other forms of, right. of advertising. But what about direct payments from your audience? We we're starting to see some small experiments across our company um, that are very interesting. Um, we haven't gotten a Digiday article written about it yet, but I highly recommend looking at our YouTube um, program on Vox. We've started to introduce memberships to our Vox video uh, YouTube channel. Um, and we've created a product there that has a deep, loyal audience um, that really loves this um, approach that they're taking to their videos. Um, we've introduced two tiers, a five, I think it's a 599 and a 1099 tier. And we've created an advisory board of our view and every month they're meeting with our Vox video creators and talking to them about um, ideas for new Vox videos. So far, it seems to be a huge success, um, and that's really exciting to see. Um, it's what's, also, what's huge success? We could get this oh, article written if the, we get some numbers. <laughs> you always want numbers. Um, I'll, I'll have to send you to my fantastic <laughs> analytics team. Oh, right. but, um, but I think, I mean, but we're But why doesn't Vox.com have a subscription? Um, why isn't it like, I mean. Our it, approach is always, I mean, this is, this is how it is. Our approach is to test out um, new um, ideas or new processes in, a, in an iterative way. So let's test it out with our YouTube membership group. And then let's see if it's something that we want to try elsewhere. Um, we obviously, across the industry, see some really promising signs of membership models and subscription models. Um, we see it with people wanting to come to live events like this. Um, we see it um, with our own event programs um, that people do want to pay for high quality work. So there's obviously a market there. Um, mm -hmm. uh, but we want to make sure that we're doing it in the way that is best fit for our company. So what are you trying to find out specifically with this that you could then apply overall to Vox.com? That, that seems like the obvious place yeah. where you, I mean, well, I mean, Recode, you could put that all yeah. behind a, a paywall. Yeah. But like Vox.com seems the obvious place that you would experiment with 
or not with go beyond experiment, yeah. really have a, a true subscription yeah. model. I think that, you know, really honest, I'd say that across all of our networks, we have, we've, be we've built really targeted niche loyal audiences across every single product that we have. Um, you have people who are obsessed with Eater, who care deeply about the recommendations that the authority Eater provides to them. Um, what is the product that we would create that would be really a value add to people's lives for Eater? That's a question that we have. Um, and we're thinking about how do we see what's the right mix of community moderation and community management and audience development um, that would provide a great experience for people. We're not gonna put something out there in the market that is half-baked because that's what yeah, leads eater. you into trouble. Nice. Yeah. Um, I, it would seem like with Eater, it would be more of a membership, and then Vox possibly could have more of, a, you could call it a membership, but more of a subscription mm -hmm. where it, it's, it's content really led yeah. behind a paywall. Yeah. Th those are good ideas. I like that. Okay, so <laughs> when you. are we going to see this? <laughs> um, watch this space. No time soon. We're, we're, we're still developing thoughts around all of this, but it's a fun space to experiment with. It's also, I think, from an industry-wide perspective, obviously um, a huge opportunity for folks who are thinking about monetization. Um, and I'm happy to see people really valuing journalism enough to pay for it. So. Okay, so narrative three on this note. Great. See if you would disagree with this one. I, I hope. Do. I hope you do. It's that for all the successes that for all the high-profile successes we've seen in subscriptions with people like the New York Times, and their numbers mm -hmm. came out and they were fantastic, um, there is going to be subscription fatigue out there, and that a lot of these subscription programs that people have rushed out um, are not going to work. Yes. Uh, that one I probably, I don't know if I'd agree with you on this one. Or I think all of these narratives are false because there's so much nuance. Um, <laughs> So I think that the thing about this is that you put out a lovely article that I loved, the 2018 resolutions for Digiday, what you guys were not going to say and talk about. Yeah. And you Am banned- Am I violating this right now? No. I wrote that. No, you're not. <laughs> you, you banned the word pivot from the future. Yeah. Well, I didn't say that. <laughs> no, you didn't. But I think that what you're hinting at is that there might be a little bit of a pivot to subscriptions. And- There was already okay. a- Okay. P dash 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 dash. <laughs> Don't use it. Don't use it. <laughs> um, and I think that what I worry about is that amidst all of the change, that people make choices too quickly without putting in the work to see if something's going to be effective for their business and make sense for their audience. Um, and so I think in some cases, people will be really excited about subscriptions and want to pay for a quality product, and in some cases, it won't work. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think I, I hope that our colleagues in this industry are thoughtful about building products that really matter to their audiences. Yeah. Um, so. I mean, I think it's like, it's very, uh, look, it's encouraging that, that, that there is like a big appetite uh, for people to pay for content. I mean, that's great to see. Mm -hmm. um, I think the... I think the challenge ends up being exactly what you're saying, is like a lot of the content it was really made for ad models. It was made for mass scale ad models. And now, because those have been deteriorating at these particular companies, they're looking for a replacement. And so that replacement could be festivals. That could, replacement could be um, subscriptions. But it's, it's just looking for a replacement for a hole in the budget. Yeah. Uh, 
not to talk about myself, but to talk about myself. I think this is why I really deeply believe in like the power of having a brand that is valuable, independent of the business model, because you can build business models off of that brand. What is the service you're providing to your audience that matters, whether it's a subscription-based service or an advertising-based service? You're, you're always going to lose if you're building something that is hollow and this is one of the reasons why we care about building products that people deeply care about it's one of the reasons why i thought the vox media approach was so smart in going for quality at scale thinking about how do you create a niche audience around eater how do you create a niche mm -hmm. audience around curbed how do you think about the um the brand loyalty that 280 team sites across sb nation can create um and so that i think has been really a, a power for our company that we don't that we're not just trying to rush into something headlong without really paying attention to that depth of um, engagement okay on that uh new narrative and Great. that is that the race for scale was cursed much of the digital media industry <laughs> there's race. this uh, yeah, a lot of people now yeah. um they use scale for scale's sake. Mm -hmm. They say like, oh, it's all about scale, and that's the reason that that BuzzFeed ran into its issues, um, and that because of particularly the platforms enabling massive amount of sampling, which you know I think a lot of times people forget like, wow, that's great. Like you could get your brand in front of like hundreds of millions of people really quickly, but because of that, people got sucked into this idea that it was all about these big audience numbers, however flimsy they were. That was a more complicated one. Yeah, that was. Um, I, m my thoughts on that are that there's truth to it, um, but I think that the, the, when that did happen, it's because people didn't put the needs of the audience first. What, uh, if you're just hoping that you can get a lot of people without something that really adds value to their lives, you're gonna miss out on it. Um, and so, I think there's some truth to that one, but I think that it's it's not, it, it obfuscates the idea that you actually can reach a lot of people with a quality okay. pro product. Um, and that, okay. that isn't so a like bad, that's not a negative not thing. Scale. Yeah, okay. hashtag not all scale. Okay. Quality at scale. Um, related to that, there's another narrative out there I've heard, um, which is that Facebook has been a disaster for publishers. <laughs> Is and that a, is that a question? question? Yes, it's a cool, well, it's a narrative. Oh, it's a narrative. So that's, Facebook has been <laughs> remember we're replacing questions with narratives. Oh, that's right, okay. It's a device. <laughs> um, f false. Um, <laughs> I, I think, I just wanted to say that for the fun of it. Uh, I think there have been problems with uh, the relationship between Facebook and publishers. I think that that's not, an, that's not a Are you being like known. political? No, I'm not being political. I think that there, I mean, there's issues with it. I, I have always, I've long thought that sometimes we've almost given Facebook too much emphasis in this, in this conversation. Media reporters have discussed it too much. Not saying that, not all media reporters, but. <laughs> we are like 15 minutes in. I just mentioned it for the first time. <laughs> no, I know it's true. But I think in the past we have discussed it for a long time. I and, um, I, I've thought about this as f Facebook or other platforms or other, um, any partnership that you create, you have to be thinking about it from a business perspective. And I think that in the past, um, people approached Facebook with the hope that it would 
provide solutions that they might not have been able to come up with themselves. And that was the wrong approach. You he, say people. Do, do you include like Vox in that? I would say that, we, that this is something that we probably stumbled on a bit last year, and I'll be straightforward about that. I think that we thought that the Facebook video opportunity would provide monetization opportunities for us, and it didn't. Um, do you blame seeing, yourselves, or do you blame Facebook, or a little bit of both? I blame myself. I like to be hard on you myself. You don't blame Facebook? Um, I, I blame, you know, I think that Facebook, it was, a, it was a business choice that we made, and I think that we shouldn't, I have to take responsibility for my, my actions. Um, but I think that we're also, we're now currently working with Facebook on a watch product, and it seems to be going well, and we're finding they a great- pay you. We're, and we're finding a good audience. We're finding monetization <laughs> results. Yes, they're paying us. Okay. Um, and so we have to be we have to be thoughtful about the business decisions we're making, and we are making them. There isn't. I'm not. I'm not taking. I'm not giving my responsibility to somebody yeah. else. We're we're building this business. So like now, like if Facebook calls you up and it's like we got this really cool thing and we think it's going to be big and we're testing it out and we want you to be part of it and it's going to be really big. Are you more likely to be like? Show me the money. I think that in any, if anyone calls me up and is like, hey, we got this thing, well, a lot of I'm like, let's do some due diligence on well, that thing. Well, a lot of publishers uh, wanted to be part of, of, of launches with Facebook, and there was no clear path to monetization. Yeah. There was a hope an expectation maybe, but it never came to fruition. I, let, let's go back about it again to like where it's like not just, it's not just hashtag not just Facebook. <laughs> I think that a few years ago, I think there was, um, there was more flex in the system. I think that our industry wasn't under such pressures. And I think that experimentation, there was a lot of experimentation happening. And I think it's good for folks to be able to experiment when they have the opportunity to experiment. When you're facing a more uncertain market, that you should be focused on the things that really can provide sustainable business opportunities for you. So right now, we're gonna be really focused on making sure that we have a business model behind our, all of our choices. But does that mean you can experiment a lot less? No, because I think that in some ways I feel like it's good to have constraints because that's where a lot of creativity comes from. Uh, and. I, you know, I, I look across our teams and they're doing incredible work. They're experimenting in television. We have two new renewals that just came out. Two years ago, we weren't in television at all. And now we're creating an incredible season two for our Explained show on Netflix and an incredible season two for No Passport Required. Um, we're experimenting with podcasts. We're still experimenting in a ton of different ways with our writing. Um, there's a ton of space to experiment. And I think it's important that we're continuing to experiment. Um, just because there's perhaps um, uh, a focus doesn't mean that you lose that and you shouldn't lose it or you're, you're going to be in trouble. Okay, I have another narrative related to okay. that. I'm going to skip it. And this actually is a guest narrative from Sihil Patel. Um, uh, and he said that, um, I'm going to paraphrase it, but the artists formerly known as digital media companies will <laughs> struggle to create IP and franchises for quote unquote TV. False. <laughs> <laughs> we're, do we're doing a great job. Um, why does he think that? I mean, mostly just because it's not, it's not in your DNA. It's not your business. And TV has, there's a lot of people who create TV. They're really good at creating TV. And so you might, be able to, you might be able to get like, this is what he said to me. He said, you might be able to get one series picked up by Netflix. It doesn't mean you're really going to be able to crack building franchises for TV. Sure, but we got a renewal picked up by Netflix, and we have six more shows in the hopper from other net with other networks, and we're continuing to experiment. And this I is think profitable. 
I, I, yes, I just didn't yeah. I say that we need to be sustainable in our businesses. Um, well, yeah, we, no, but there's, there's wiggle room in <laughs> there's that. There's wiggle room. There's always wiggle room. Um, I think that I think that this is one of the things that is fun about being a creator in this time period. Again, I, I think I said this earlier, but you, we don't have to be tied to any one medium. You can be. You've we from the very start. Um, have experimented with text, with audio, with video. Um, I think you guys are Instagram living this. That's the three mediums and that's one. our experimentation. Yes, that's your experimentation. <laughs> um, you have we we had to have a fluency in a lot of different um, creative languages from the very beginning. A lot of one of the things that I love the most about our teams at this company is that. Um, in the past, I haven't seen as much collaboration between folks who have the skill sets um, of a writer uh, hanging out with the folks who have the skill sets of um, a great graphic designer and comboing those skills together. It's so wonderful when the teams just, they just naturally do that. And that leads to the ability for them to flex in new mediums. It's really easy for somebody like Neelai Patel, the editor-in-chief of The Verge, who's a fantastic writer to become a great podcast host. Mm -hmm. um, you should, you know that from your own experience. Uh, there's a way to experiment in new mediums um, that gives that we have the freedom to do as creators in this day and age. So moving into television doesn't feel like a giant leap to us. It feels we, we created an amazing product um, with digital videos, um, and we're able to use those lessons and create great television shows. So I'm I'm really bullish about this space for us. And I think there is space to create better TV. There's a lot out there that's great. I think in the nonfiction space, we can we can do better and. And I plan to, so. Okay, time will tell. Uh, okay, one more narrative, well, two more narratives. Um, one is that the, the recent cutbacks um, uh, are really about getting cost bases under control, right? I mean, these are, are not failing companies. I mean, they generate hundreds of millions, in some cases over a billion dollars of revenue. Um, so if you're a media company, your biggest costs are people. So unfortunately, a lot of people lost their jobs, but that's a way to get your costs under control. But it points to the need for consolidation in the overall media industry um, and the roll-up of some of the biggest firms, as suggested by BuzzFeed CEO Jonah Peretti. Mm -hmm. Drive efficiencies. Drive efficiencies. So is, am I supposed to say if this narrative is true or false? Is, is this narrative? Because, I mean, you know, it, this was a trial balloon that Jonah put out yeah. there. Um, and we are not merging with BuzzFeed. <laughs> you're, okay, so that's not happening. Uh, though they're, they're very creative, wonderful people there. Um, you know, I think that consolidation is a, is a common theme throughout time. I, again, I don't think this, there's anything like true about this time period that's different from in the past. I think people make business decisions when there's an alignment in their business. Um, but industries typically go through periods of extreme consolidation and then fragmentation yeah. and extreme consolidation and fragmentation. Yes. So which side of the pendulum are we on? Consolidation. Uh, <laughs> you, you're the expert here. Um, you know, I'm I think, just saying, I'm just looking around. <laughs> I, I do think that there is, that w the way that we're approaching it at Vox Media is right now we want to be thoughtful about opportunities. We, I don't know if you saw that we've recently had two acquisitions of our own that we're really excited about. Um, we recently had a great podcast um, join us with the Vox um, uh, 
network. Um, and we recently purchased the Coral Project, um, acquired the Coral Project, which is a fantastic digital platform um, that's going to add a lot to our chorus business. Um, mm -hmm. So I think that there's opportunities. Small acquisitions. Small acquisitions. Yeah. But I think there's, I think there's, we want to be opportunistic about good business opportunities right now. Um, and if you would like to say that there's a trend happening, then that's, that's hopeful for us <laughs> okay. and we want to be thoughtful about our business. <laughs> okay, we'll see. Uh, I guess that's the sort of takeaway. Um, okay, uh, final one. The recent layoffs and the uncertainty of digital media overall points to the need for unionized newsrooms. So gloom and doom in here. Um, <laughs> what? Unions we, are great. <laughs> no, unions are great. We're, we're currently working with our union right now to um, finalize our, um, our uh, CBA. There's, I've had learned a lot about this. Um, yeah, and I think that that's. And you guys I, voluntarily did that. We did. Yes, we recognize okay, it. Didn't fight it. Um, and um, we, you know, I think that this is a signal in some ways of thinking about a. a uh, transition from a startup to a, a modern media company. There's a lot of things that we need to put in place to make sure that we have like the right infrastructure to build the future, um, the future growth that we intend to see. Um, and it's wonderful that um, I think a lot of the workers are really passionate. A lot of the writers and um, video creators and podcast hosts they're really passionate about making sure that they can have a say in that creation of the business that we're building. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, if you, if you think of that as a, um, as a negative, I think that that's going to impact your business. We've always been successful because we've asked our creators um, to help lead us into the next stage of the future for our business. Um, I think it's true with the work that we create. Um, a lot of, I think that a lot of the podcast growth that we saw was because we gave space to our um, creators to try their hand at um, podcasting, um, and they really pushed us into that field. Um, and I think it's true as well in thinking about what's the kind of company and culture that we want to build. Um, what's the what's who do we want to be out there in the world? And so we really want folks to be able to say that. So okay. yeah, I'll I agree one, with that one. I have one bonus. Um, Great one, and that's podcasting is due for a tremendous boom. Uh, well, I mean, I'm on a podcast. So I got to say true. Uh, <laughs> I needed to get you to agree to one. <laughs> you won. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That was um, fun. I like that game. Do I win anything? Uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> Want to open it up to questions? Hey, uh, you touched on going into the TV business is uh, completely different. Um, with course, you're going into the technology business. H how do you balance like? trying to do TV content uh, to run a modern media company, and then technology, like that's quite different. Um, I love that question. Uh, I think we are doing a lot, and it's, and it's great to see a lot of these different um, avenues grow for us. Um, but if you look at everything across the board that we're doing, it's all based in this idea that we're trying to build quality products. And we're, and we're doing it from, I think, a source of inspiration from what our networks have built. Uh, so Chorus SaaS, which is our um, publish, pu publishing platform that we're opening up to other partners, um, was built to make the best networks for, our, for Vox, for Recode, for SB Nation. Um, and at a certain point, we realized that we could take that technology, that really high quality product, and open it up to other partners. And that we wanted to give, we wanted to give them the opportunity to use the same type of um, 
publishing tools, the same monetization tools, the same audience development tools that we had. And there was a business to be built around that. Uh, similarly, we take the quality storytelling that we've, do we've done with our networks um, in the video space and moved into television. So everything to me feels like it's one step beyond what we started with as a core. And this goes back to sort of my membership comment is that we, are, we want to be really thoughtful about taking one step into um, a new area that, we're, um, that we are experimenting with and then seeing if we can build something off of that. It helps. We are lucky because we have a lot of different networks, so we can test a lot of different things at the same time. Um, but that's really the way that I think about it. Okay. Other questions? You know, he didn't even ask me a single question. He just presented narratives. Nobody wants I know, to. now, see? Does anyone have a narrative they want to present? False, no. Hi, I was hiding at the back there. Um, you talked about the need to test and to try new things. I'd just be interested to hear, like, how are you judging success and failing fast and moving on to different projects? Uh, we have... We, we actually have... The way that we do it, the way that we operationalize it, um, does, I think, come from our background in technology. Um, we have a very strong culture of product management um, that, uh, that a lot of people buy into at this company. So we have check-ins regularly, we have quarterly business reviews, um, people understand, understand and have a fluency in data and analytics to understand what are the KPIs that they're setting, um, what are the goals that they're reaching. Um, we establish at the beginning of new projects a sense of what audience are we trying to go after. Um, I think we've learned a lot from this, from starting out as a pure technology company that we've applied to our editorial process, that we've applied to, applied to our business process. Um, and so that's where I think we've been thought, we've been able to create a thoughtful approach to a lot of the new experimentation that we've done. Okay, oh, we have one more. Hey, you mentioned that some of the uh, nonfiction television could be improved. And I don't know, it seems like in some ways we're in a really nice age of documentaries on TV and certainly uh, a kind of glossier sheen on, on kind of uh, food shows uh, on Netflix and lifestyle, et cetera. Uh, I'm just wondering if there are areas that you think that, uh, were, that you were referring to. You're right, there's some very great work out there. I don't want to diminish that work at all. I think that um, my mind particularly went to the news space. I think that there's, um, I think sometimes in the past we've, we've talked about sort of the divisiveness that the internet has led us to. I think that the divisiveness has got to start on cable television. And I think there's an opportunity to think about how we are providing news and information for people today. Uh, and that's really something that I'm excited to see us experiment in and think about what's a, what's a way that we can really present news on television um, in the same way that we can present amazing food shows like No Passport Required <laughs> on Eater and PBS. <laughs> okay, Melissa, thank you so much. This was so much fun, thank yeah. you. Thank you all for coming. Uh, please stick around. We still have some pasta salad. And, and thank you all for listening. Our producer is Aditi Sangal. Please leave us a rating and a review on iTunes or wherever you are listening to this podcast. This helps our podcast be discovered. And if you have feedback, please write me. I am brian at digiday.com or tweet at me. I am at bmorrissey. 
Jeff Langteau, an old friend of Digiday um, and someone who I have been interviewing for over a decade, tweeted and he said, the Digiday podcast with Taylor Lorenz is worth a listen, if only to hear granddad at B. Morrissey express confusion over Finsta accounts half expected him to offer Taylor a Werther's original at the end of the pod. Very kind, Jeff. Thank you very much. And thank you all for listening. And we'll be back next week with a new episode.